You can have a seat. Last week we began our year of studying and opening God's Word together as with a series that I'm calling First Things First. And we're thinking about, okay, at the beginning of the year, lots of us sort of identify areas of our lives that need to change, some things that we need to do. And maybe what is really better for us is to open our lives up so God can be at work doing the things that He knows we need the most. Opening our lives up so God can make us into the people that He wants us to be. And so I talked about how we need to focus on what matters most. And we looked at a passage from Matthew chapter 6 in which Jesus says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And that really is putting those first things in their first place and recognizing that God has called us to follow His will and when we can identify His will, do what's right, then we're going to be on the right path to putting first things first. Now, sort of as we think about focusing on what matters most, one of the things that we're immediately faced with is that there are always going to be distractions, right? I mean, we're focusing on, okay, God, I want you to make me into the person that you need me to be in this place in this time. I want you to make me into the person that you created me to be. So mold me, reform me, and yet in the middle of that, there's going to be things that creep in that distract us from allowing God to do that. Now, we face distractions all the time, right? I mean, they're, they're in every area of our life. Whenever we try to focus on one thing, we are distracted by something else. I saw that at work around Christmas. We went to visit some family, and, and we were traveling or riding with to go do a little shopping with Leanne's sister-in-law, and Lily was with me, and she was telling us all about her new car that we were riding in, and she told us that she paid a little bit extra for some of the bells and whistles, the technology upgrades. So she had this massive monitor in the middle, you know, upsized that, and bells that went off when you got in the wrong lane, and alarms that sounded if you got too close to another car. And she said, the reason I did this, it was worth it to me because my husband, Leanne's brother, gets distracted. He's always looking around at everything going on and he forgets the cars that are in front of him. And I thought, I bet she just wanted all the bells and whistles and she's blaming him. But the very next day, we were in the car and it was evening and he's looking around at Christmas lights while he's driving and he didn't notice a car got over in front of him and slowed down with its signal on, brakes light, brake lights working, to turn right and immediately all the alarms sounded, fortunately, because otherwise we would have hit the car. So she was right. He was distracted, right? We all get that way. Simple things like driving, important things like chasing our goals, seeking out what's really important, and certainly even in terms of our relationship with God. Now, lots of things can distract us. Some of them are not necessarily bad things. In fact, some of them can be good things just trying to get our priorities right. So if we're really seeking out to, to follow God in what matters most, okay, we can still get distracted by things like work and money and family or school. All these things that, hey, they're good things. Things that God has given us, blessed us with. But what's most important? First things first. Seek first the kingdom of God. So we understand things like work, family, finances, school, all those things in terms of our relationship with God. So those are some distractions. But here's the thing. There are other distractions at work in our lives 
that are a bit more sinister, that can really take us in the wrong direction, that we should just call what they are, and that is sin. Sin can distract us from God. Temptation and the resulting sin can keep us from allowing God to form us into the people that he wants us to be, that keep us from focusing on what matters most. So the question is, how do we deal with those distractions, these things that really are sin and temptation? Well, fortunately... We are not the first people to deal with that problem. We could look at a number of stories and passages throughout the Bible that talk about this battle between trying to do what's right and the temptation to do what's wrong. But in the series, we're focusing on the Sermon on the Mount, which we find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's all that passage is, three chapters straight, just Jesus talking to the same group of people. And last week, we talked about a passage in Matthew 6. Today, I want us to turn back a chapter. We're not taking this in order and certainly not covering it all. But I want us to look at a passage we find in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus deals with a couple of those distractions that lead us to sin. But I think in those two, he gives us some guidance that helps us in virtually anything that could distract us from what God wants us to do and to be. So we're going to look at those two today. And the first is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And this is all about our hostility and anger and even hate. So this is what Jesus says. You've heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, Jesus is doing here exactly what almost any rabbi in the ancient world would do, and that is to stand up and read God's word and then sit down and explain it. Now, we know Jesus did that when he was in a synagogue. He's outside right now on top of a mountain talking to this group of people. So my guess is he stood up the whole time. But this is a typical sort of pattern. Read God's word and then explain it. So Jesus quotes from God's word, and he quotes something that virtually everyone in the crowd would have already known, been able to quote themselves, that, this is how we know it from the Old Testament, thou shalt not, and we think, kill. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's not the way Jesus said it, though. Jesus said, you've heard it said long ago, do not murder. But we remember the Ten Commandments way back in Exodus 20 saying, you shall not kill. So what's going on here? Well, remember the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament's written in Greek. So this is a translation over into Greek from the Hebrew. That's part of what we're dealing with. And we're also dealing with the fact that the command says, thou shalt not kill. But if you read the whole law, what you see is that there are allowances made for things like self-defense or warfare, or capital punishment. So what the command is saying is, don't murder anyone. And that's the way Jesus quotes it. Okay, so that's really what we're dealing with. Someone choosing to kill another person because they've been harmed, or because they don't like them, for whatever reason. You shall not murder. So Jesus is following a typical pattern. Old Testament, what they would have called the Bible, because there is no New Testament at this point, Read it, explain it. So this command says, don't kill anyone. But that's not enough for Jesus. This is what he says in verse 22. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister 
will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which means empty-headed or brainless, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So what's Jesus doing here? I mean, the command is clear. Don't murder. So what is Jesus doing when he starts talking about all the stuff that might be going on in our head or coming out of our mouths? What does that have to do with this? What he's saying is, listen, the command says, don't do this physical action of killing someone. But I'm telling you, the distraction begins long before the physical act. The distraction begins in your head with your own anger. And he's saying, listen, when, when you allow that anger to get to the point that you're calling someone names, you're condemning them, you're finding ways to insult them, you're on the wrong path. You've allowed your anger to become a distraction from following God, and you're headed down a place where you're going to do someone physical harm or even kill them, and that's going to destroy your whole life. So before you get to that point, while it's still something just going on in your mind, deal with the distraction then. Face the feeling and the thought that you have before it becomes this action of killing someone. Okay? So that's Jesus' plan. Deal with it in your head before you work it out in your life. That's example number one. Animosity, hatred, anger. Example number two is lust. And we find that a few verses later, beginning in verse 27. You have heard it said, Jesus said, that sounds familiar, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, that another of the Ten Commandments. We could look back in Exodus 20. God gave these commandments sort of as a summation, pulling together of the whole law. Gave that to Moses for the people of Israel. They would have all had it memorized. Everyone who heard Jesus speak that day and heard him say, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, would say, okay, we know where that came from, right? We know, we know where that is in the Bible. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Okay, you shall not commit adultery. You can't have a sexual relationship with another person outside the marriage relationship. Don't violate that. But just like when Jesus says, you shall not murder or there's judgment, he takes this act of adultery and goes behind that. Verse 28. But I tell you, Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, look at what, what's going on in your mind and your heart because the distraction begins there. The sin sort of lays the egg there and then it is fulfilled in the action of adultery. So don't, don't allow it to become that action. Deal with it when it's still a thought. And I think the key here is Jesus is not saying you can ever see that someone has beautiful features. That's not his point. His point is what do you do with that thought? Where do you take it? Where do you allow that to go? What do you think about that person? And what would it be like to be with that person? When you go down that path, you're in trouble. 
When you go down that path, it's become sin, it's become a distraction from your relationship with God, and you're risking getting yourself in real trouble by acting and sinning because of that thought. So, so deal with it when it's distracting you from God before you take it into action. I think we find that Jesus is teaching us how our minds work. That we allow the temptation to find its way into our thoughts and our feelings. And when we do that, we end up destroying ourselves, our relationships, our relationship with God, and even other people if we allow it to go far enough. So the lesson here is pretty simple. Deal with distractions before they become actions. Deal with a distraction before it becomes an action. Now, that sounds pretty simple, right? Okay, just, just deal with it. Now, the question is, how do you deal with it? What do you actually do with this? How do you deal with the distraction? What, what are some practical steps that we can take? And I think as we look at what Jesus says, he's given us some, and we can just need to take the whole witness of Scripture and say, okay, what does Scripture have to say about this? So here's what I think we can do to help deal with the distraction before it becomes an action. The first is to watch your thoughts. Watch your thoughts. What I mean by that is this. We think about another person. We think about something they've done to us. We think about something they've done to someone that we love. And the anger begins to build in that moment. We have a decision to make. Am I going to allow that? Am I going to relive those moments when that person made me angry? Am I going to think about what could I do to take revenge on that person? What would it feel like to make them feel the way I felt when they hurt me so badly? When we think about another person, and we begin to think, okay, that person is attractive, but what's next? Am I going to think about what it would be like to act on those feelings? to violate the marriage relationship. What am I going to do in that moment? And I think part of what Jesus is saying is be mindful. Think about where your thoughts and feelings are going and stop them before you get to a dangerous point. Stop it before it becomes a distraction from your relationship with God. Now, how do we do that? I think there's lots of ways. We need to focus our minds on other things. I mean, things that we might enjoy doing that are positive things. Uh, exercise, read a book, have conversation with someone. All those things can take our minds off of the distraction. We, we need to act on it. We've got to be mindful and act on it. But that leads us into the, the second thing, and that's to eliminate the risks. So we have to think about the temptation when am I most susceptible to this temptation? When does it get me in the most trouble? Where does it get me in the most trouble? 
with whom does it get me in the most trouble? Now here again, Jesus talks about our anger and hostility and our lust, but I think this applies to our greed. I think it applies to things like gossip. They're, they're all basically the same dynamic. We're allowing things to take over in our hearts and our minds that work themselves out in action. So deal with the distraction before it becomes action. Be mindful, think about it, and then eliminate the risks. That means we got to identify the risks. So figure out, okay, what are the things that get me in trouble? Now, before I even act on it, what are the things that get me in trouble in my heart and in my mind? And then deal with it. And so that may mean that there are places we don't go anymore. Because we know when, when I go to that place, I find myself in trouble. And it may mean that there are people that we choose not to be around anymore because we know when I'm with that person, then it becomes a distraction because I fall into traps that I've been falling into for years or decades, and so I'm going to stay away. It may mean that we eliminate as much time as we might have on our own because we know we're better with people than without people. It might mean that we limit time on things like devices, whether they're phones or computers, tablets, or anything else, because we know those things can get us in trouble. There's all sorts of things that we say, here's a risk, and the best thing for me to do to eliminate the distraction is to eliminate the risk. And we might think, you know what? I shouldn't be this way. I'm a grown Man, woman, I'm an adult. I should be able to handle this. I shouldn't have to cut myself off from this situation, this person, this device, this time, whatever it is. I should be more mature than this. And you know what? Maybe we should be. Maybe that's true. But we can try to deal with the person that we wish we were or we can deal with the person that we are. We can deal with the person we think we ought to be, or we can deal with the person that we are today. And it just might be that the best thing to do to eliminate the distractions from our relationship with God is to set up some boundaries and you say, you know what, I'm going to stay within these boundaries because when I do... The distraction is not nearly as strong. The temptation doesn't overtake me like it does when I allow myself to get outside of these boundaries. And even though we may feel a little bit like we're babysitting ourselves, it might be the very best thing for us. So eliminate the risks. Third, last thing. Depend on the Spirit. Here's the good news. You are not in this alone. You don't have to defeat all your distractions. You don't have to deal with all the temptations by yourself because the Spirit of God is at work in you. We're promised that when we're baptized, God's Spirit inhabits us, so you don't have to do this on your own. And in fact, God is with you on this. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to be able to overcome these distractions because he wants to be at work in your life. And he knows if the distractions are really working hard, there's no room for him. So depend on the spirit that God has promised you. 
Pray that God would help you overcome the temptation, the distraction. Pray that His Spirit would be so powerfully at work in you that maybe you won't even be tempted by it. Pray that you'll have the strength to eliminate the risks so that you can't go down that path. Depend on God's Spirit. Now, here's what I know. God's Spirit is at work in us individually. We're promised that. But God's Spirit is also at work in us as a body of Christ. We're told when two or three of us gather, there He is in the midst of us. So God's Spirit is at work in us right now as a group of people, as the community of faith, as His body. But God's also at work when maybe two or three Christians come together and say, you know what, I'm I'm really dealing with this thing. And it is threatening to destroy me and my family or maybe my work or my finances. And I need some help. God's Spirit can be at work among just those two or three or four people in that moment, just like He is when we all gather. And maybe whatever it is that's distracting you from God It's something you're not ready to talk about in this room. That's okay. It's probably not the best place for it. But you might be willing to talk about it to two or three people, or maybe just one, that you really trust. And you know will keep it to themselves, will pray about it, and will help you walk through it. And I think when we say depend on God's Spirit, that's part of what we're talking about. Because we are God's people filled with His Spirit, and we can depend on each other. So, be mindful. Think about how your mind is working. And eliminate the risks and depend on God's Spirit. Because when we do that, and we've got this opportunity to deal with a distraction before it becomes action. You know, here's one of the things that's true in our culture. Even though I don't know, I don't know any, maybe there's a few out there, but I don't know any Christians who say, you know what, I've got it all figured out, okay? I I don't deal with sin anymore, I don't deal with temptation, I've got, I've overcome it all. None of us are saying that. None of us are saying that we're perfect. And yet, the culture around us looks in and says, oh, there's another hypocrite. Another Christian who's done this really stupid thing and blown it and destroyed his or her family and it's all falling apart, just just like them. What would happen if we as followers of Jesus got really serious about dealing with these distractions? How would it change us as individuals? How would it change our families? And how would it change how the world saw the church? Not because we're perfect, because we never will be. But because we seriously grappled with dealing with all of these distractions before they work themselves into our action. I think it could dramatically change how we see ourselves and how the world sees us, and more important, how the world sees Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we know we're sinners. We're very aware of that. 
But God, we pray that you'll help us to deal with the things that would pull us away from you, would distract us from following you, would distract us from putting first things first. So God, we're depending on you to help us walk through this. God, as we do, we pray that you'll help us to be mindful, to watch our thoughts, and to eliminate the places, the people, the things that get us in the most trouble so that we can focus on you. God, we pray it all in Jesus' name.